you're listening to The Maniculum, pointing the finger at the Middle Ages. We bring you the choicest medieval nonsense, discuss and evaluate it, then pillage it for our own geeky purposes. Future Mac here. This episode is just the segments and discussion of the saga of Eric the Red, which we read in the previous two episodes, so I would strongly recommend going back and listening to those first. Why did you click on something that said part three? Also, side note, we're going to mention saga things several times over the course of this episode, because this is the first time that we are applying our segments to a story that they have also covered, and we're excited about being able to compare our results to theirs. What say you? Yes. Best dialogue. I think I'm going to have to go with the classic right before I die saying, because him just like pulling that arrow out and just noticing like how fat he got. Peak Viking humor right there. Right. Yes, that is fantastic. Just peak. That's my favorite. Not only do I agree, Saga Thing agrees. Hey! <laughs> that is their choice for notable witticism of the saga, which is yes. one of their segments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that one's fantastic. I would give an honorable mention to Thorhall complaining that there is no wine in Vinland and he has to drink water. True. Also true. Yeah. Especially because it is called Vinland, you would expect so. Incidentally, it being named Vinland gets a longer thing in the Greenlander saga. Here it's just like, oh yeah, Leaf found grapes and wheat and he called it Vinland. Makes but sense. someone finding wild grapes is given more of space in that one. Maybe okay. we'll do it next Thanksgiving. Ooh, yeah. Alright. So, I'm excited for this next one. All Toprast. I think the best death is definitely the one where, and I can't remember his name, who's the guy who takes his wife's hands and then just cleaves her with the axe. Because that was amazing. And like she's already technically dead. But can we count that one? Because it was so good. I think we can. Okay. Uh, and that is Thorsten the farmer and his wife Sigrid. Yes, Sigrid. I think that's the best death we've had so far. Trying to think if there was a better one. But I'm honestly coming up kind of blank. Because that one was amazing. I mean, the, the only other one would be the witticism one, but that goes for best dialogue. Yeah, that was also a good one. Yeah, no, I can't argue with that. Sigrid being re-killed is the best death. Definitely, definitely. Now, Saga Thing also has a best bloodshed segment, so we get to see what they said for this. Ooh, what do they say? In a saga that includes some pretty spectacular moments... Open parentheses, dying by drowning in a sea of maggots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. Thorsten the farmer having to bury an axe in his wife's reanimated corpse to stop her from climbing into the beds of living men. Yep. Close parentheses. One death stood out. Thorvald Eriksson, shot by a uniped in the New World, can lay claim to perhaps the most unique death anywhere in the sagas. That's true. That is true. So they gave that one also to Thorvald, both the, the dialogue and the death. I'm still more impressed by the guy killing yeah. his, his already dead wife. I think that was better. <laughs> uh, 
mythical critter. Yeah, do we have any creatures in this? Well, we do have the uh, the uniped. Yes, and I would add in the shipworms. Because I know those are a real thing, but you could really go somewhere wild with them by having uh, like an actual worm sea where they're just everywhere. Yeah, yeah, that would be spooky. That would be spooky. Yeah, you could quote Samuel Coleridge, too, because he, he talks about shipworms and sea snakes in The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Let me see if I can find a line. Oh, yeah. What a great poem, yeah. Coleridge is probably my favorite non-medieval poet, is why I know that off the top of my head. I like, not to continue my obsession with Tolkien, but Tolkien has a fantastic poem called The Mariner as well. I don't know that one. I assume it's about the guy who has the Silmaril on his brow? Well, there is that one. Or is it a take on the seafarer? It's actually, okay, so there's the Song of Arendil. That's the one with the Silmaril on his brow. Yes. Okay, so the one that I'm thinking of is called Tree, and it is a bizarre poem, and I'll just read the beginning of it. It can actually be sung to Modern Major General, if you're familiar with that one, uh, which is a musical from the... It's a song in the musical called... The Pirates of Penzance. Yes, The Pirates of Penzance, which I did in Powell's Pirates class, which was amazing. So all these things are like coming together. It's a Gilbert and Sullivan piece. Yes, it's brilliant. So there was a merry passenger, a messenger, an errander. He took a tiny porringer and oranges for provender. He took a little grasshopper and harnessed her to carry him and chased a little butterfly that fluttered by to marry him. He made him wings of taffeta to laugh at her and catch her with. He made her shoes of beetle skin with needles in to latch with them. They fell to bitter quarreling and sorrowing. He fled away and long he studied sorcery in ossery a many day. And it goes on about his journeys and up and down and where he goes, but it talks about his passage and wandering. So that's called Tree. But there's also the Arendelle poem, which is about the mariner, which is inspired by the seafarer, which is the old English poem. Yeah. So there you go. But what was the one that you had? All right. There are, in fact, two different passages I was thinking of. Ooh, yes. One of the passages that always strikes me in the poem, which could be about shipworms is the very deep did rot O christ that ever this should be yea slimy things did crawl with legs upon the slimy sea about about and reel and rout the death fires danced at night the water like a witch's oils burnt green and blue and white Ooh, that is cool and then here's the one that's explicitly about sea snakes. The moving moon went up the sky and nowhere did abide. Softly she was going up and a star or two beside. Her beams bemocked the sultry main like April hoarfrost spread. But where the ship's huge shadow lay, the charmed water burnt alway a still and awful red. Beyond the shadow of the ship, I watched the water snakes. They moved in tracks of shining white, and when they reared, the elfish light fell off in hoary flakes. Within the shadow of the ship, I watched their rich attire. Blue, glossy green, and velvet black, they coiled and swam, and every track was a flash of golden fire. Ooh. I love Horridge. I love the imagery. So yeah, I feel like you could take some of that and combine it with the... Uh, worm sea and have a great like both location and bestiary entry for your D&D campaign. Yeah, or an encounter. Yeah. All right. Okay, so speaking of which, What can we 
bring in to a D&D game here. I feel like this could be a whole plot borrowing for a campaign. Oh, yeah. The whole thing. We can take the entire thing. Highlights include, what in particular? I think a random encounter with with a one-legged creature is great. Just the general <laughs> outline of you live in this really horrible place where there are zombies and plagues and famines, and then one day mm-hmm. someone comes back and says, hey, I found a land of milk. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And running off of that, mm-hmm. we've got the prophecies that you can play off of, the marriage prophecies. We've got the zombie plague that you can play off of. Like, that's a that's a big one. I, I would run with that. I think that the prophetess, whose name I'm forgetting, but I'm going to grab it real quick, Thorbjorg, you could just borrow her as an NPC, just straight from the text. Same description and everything. Yes. Oh, yeah. Definitely, definitely. She, she's a wacky enough character, for sure. Ooh, you can you can use the fever hallucinations. Yes. Yeah, like if you've got PCs seeing themselves as revenants, that would be spooky. In short, you can borrow pretty much this whole thing. Just just read it through and then take all of it. Figure <laughs> out what that weird screaming weapon is and stat it up. Yeah, yeah. And if you do make a stat block for it, send it our way. I would love to see it. I would love to terrorize my players with that. Oh, and when they go to the land of milk and honey, you can have indigenous people who can sink into the earth. Ooh, yeah, that's true. Because that was just kind of a throwaway line, but that is trippy. Yeah, yeah, especially. Yeah, good homebrew material right there. Mm -hmm. And who live in caves. Yeah, all right. How many ages hence shall this our lofty scene be acted over? In states unborn and accents yet unknown. Echoes in modern culture. Well, the most obvious one, since we are doing a seasonal one, is Thanksgiving. Well, this doesn't really have to do with the, you know, pilgrims and so on and so forth and the English coming over. It is the first, well, the first recorded landing and also the first recorded birth of a European. Also notice that uh, even though the... Icelanders were here 600 years earlier in a less hospitable place. They managed to survive three winters without starving Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and didn't commit even one genocide. Yeah, Jamestown did not go well. (laughs) The one I was thinking of was the one that Thanksgiving is actually based on. The pilgrims were starving the first winter. That's why there's a Thanksgiving. Yep, yep. Icelanders didn't starve. They figured it out. I mean, part of it was a whale that Thor gave them, but they managed anyway. That's very true. And part of it was that where they did settle, it was salt bogs, and so you couldn't actually feed anyone or let anyone drink the water there. So everyone literally, if you kept drinking the water, you died of dehydration because it was so salty. Jamestown? Yeah. All right. I was trying to figure out which of the three different locations we were yeah, doing, yep, whether yep. it was Plymouth or Jamestown. Jamestown. Or- Vinland. Yeah, not, not Vinland, not that far north. No. Yeah. yeah, Jamestown was a nightmare. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. One more way in which this is better than Jamestown. <laughs> there's a lot of ways that this is better than Jamestown. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of ways. For example, there was no cannibalism in this saga. Yeah, that's notable. But the first person born in Jamestown has a white supremacist organization named after her, whereas the first person born in Vinland has a historically recreated boat named after him, which is better. Oh, but that is not her fault. That's true. That's that's bad, but that is not her fault. It is not Virginia Dare's fault that the organization V. Dare is horrible. Oh, brutal. All right. Oh, and of course, other echoes, there is a Leif Erikson day, and there are statues of Leif Erikson and... Carl Sepney in America now. Oh, yeah, that is true. That is true. 
more of Leaf than Carl Sapney, but yeah. there are some of him too. Really? I didn't know there were any of him. I think there are only a couple hmm. because he's less well known. Yeah. Even though in the saga, he's the one who actually settles here. That's true. That's very true. Well, there we go. All right. Future Mac here. There is slash was exactly one statue of Thorfinn Karl Sepney in the United States, as far as I know. It was located in Philadelphia, but in 2008, white nationalists started using it as a rallying point because, well, I don't think I need to explain that one. It's it's kind of clear. And in 2018, just before Leif Erikson Day, which was when these rallies tended to take place, some people preemptively pulled the statue off its base and threw it into the river. It is currently awaiting repairs. There is an identical statue made from the same mold in Reykjavik, if you wanted to see it. A D&D party. Who do we want? I think we definitely want Carl Stephanie. We want him. And we want Freydis. Yeah, we do. We definitely want her. And we definitely want the, the prophetess. Thorbjorn. Yes. yes. Who else? Mm, there are a lot of good options, but those are the three that really stand out. I'm torn between three possible options. Okay, hit me with them. Eric the Red. A very good option. Leaf the Lucky. Also a very good option. Thorhall the Hunter. Hmm, pretty good. I say Leaf the Lucky. All right. Leaf it is. Yeah. That's a pretty overpowered party. Yeah. I think Leaf would have to be the paladin, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. He is a missionary and a fighter. So, like... Who would who would the prophetess be? I'm, I'm sure she's a cleric. Or possibly a warlock. I was going to say a warlock. Because she does talk to spirits. Like, that's how she gets mm-hmm. her... Yeah. Yeah, I was going to go with warlock. Or a shaman. Yeah, there we go. I don't know if that's in D&D, but there's a shaman class in Pathfinder. There's not in 5e, but we'll let it we'll let it go. Freydis is obviously a barbarian. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Love her. I guess Carl Stepney is just the fighter. Yeah, yeah. But he's really good. Yeah. <laughs> he's really good at his job. Yes. All right. The Tolkien Tally. Sort of a couple degrees away, but we talked about the seafarer and a lot of the motifs of seafaring here mm-hmm. and sort of the, the tradition. So we can finally actually include this segment. Yeah, yeah. So we talked about the seafarer. We talked about how Tolkien included some, they're not transatlantic journeys, but trans-ocean journeys in his text that a lot of his writing is is fairly heavily inspired or borrowed from the Icelandic saga tradition and Old English. More primarily Old English, but there's a lot of cultural exchange between those two things. Yeah, I would not be at all surprised if the line about losing the track and ending up in Ireland is part of the inspiration for the straight track to Valinor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I'm sure Tolkien read this text. There's no way he didn't. Yeah, definitely. And of course, I already mentioned that C.S. Lewis, who is Tolkien's buddy, borrowed the uh, monopods, although that's more of a medieval lit in general thing. Yeah, but that counts. That counts. He goes in there. Is there anything else? Because you know Tolkien better than I do. Not in particular that I can think of. He uses a lot of travel motifs. The idea of finding, you know, a promised land that's overflowing with milk and honey, aside from being a biblical motif, is also a motif that is found in this saga, which Tolkien does utilize with Valinor, the elves going over to Valinor. 
Now let's sit at the kitchen table. Possibly cursed whale? I was going to say the whale meat is the only thing. I can't think of anything else. I think that's it. Yeah. All right. The Dungeon Master's Dictionary. Any terminology, fun terminology that we want to grab? I would say Garth. Yep. Either as a name or as a place, like a location or field. Although your players will think Wayne's World, not Vikings. That's true. That might be more of a a my generation thing, though. Yeah. I say as someone who is less than 10 years older than you. I mean, still, I've never... I have no familiarity with Wayne's World whatsoever. Oh, you should watch it. It was actually already a little past its prime when I saw it as a kid, but it's a very good movie. Fair enough. There's also um, Bjorn Butterbox, yes. who deserves to be an NPC. Bjarni Butterbox. Bjarni. Bjarni. Yes. Or you could anglicize it farther and call him, call him Barney Butterbox. <laughs> oh, gosh. He, now he just sounds like a hobbit. <laughs> He's like the guy at the general store. Or no, he's a cheesemonger. Why would he not be a buttermonger? Because cheesemongers sell all their dairy products. He can sell butter too. All right, I'll take your word for it. There was also, they used the word harvest tide a couple of times. You could turn that into a celebration. You could turn that into like a name for a month, something like that. I also like the idea of singing weird songs to help with prophecy. 100%. This wasn't very specialized in terms of terminology, except for all the names. There was just a bunch of names. That's kind of what there always is in the sagas. That's They're very true. heavy on That's names. True. You could borrow the Scottish Beaffle. Yeah, you could. <laughs> oh, gosh. The Beaffle. Oh, dear. I need to know more about this garment because it sounds like something no one would ever wear. And I, I'm having difficulty believing that that's what it is. I just, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. No. <laughs> it's like a weird onesie. It's like a it's like a bad Snuggie. Is that still a thing? Do people still know what those are? Snuggies? I think so. Yeah. Well, in any case, yeah. So any of those terms can be used. That's a good one. Okay. Street smarts. Street smarts. <laughs> oh, man. Well, first off... Plan your marriages accordingly once you've been given a prophecy. Yes. I think that's a big one. Get a map. Draw a map. Like, if you have two options going east and west, know which one is which. Mm -hmm. That's another big one. If you're meeting with people who you've never met before, figure out a way to communicate other than the color of your shield and the way you shake your flail. Yeah, definitely. And don't go kidnapping them. Like, don't take their kids. Yes, that was weird. That was like, we didn't talk about that, but like, they just kidnapped those kids. Yeah, they're like, oh, let's uh, let's try and catch these people. And they're like, oh, the adults got away, but we took the kids. Why? For what? I guess to learn more about the culture, but that is not the way to go about it. To be fair, that sounds like something that modern North Americans were doing up until a few decades ago. So, Actually, fun fact, well, not so fun fact, it went both ways. There was a lot of kidnapping of European settlers' children by native groups. And sometimes the kids wanted to go back and sometimes they were so used to how they'd grown up in whatever tribe they'd grown up with, they didn't want to go back. So it went both ways. Yeah, that, that was my first thought is like, if I were a kid captured by Native Americans, I'd probably consider that an upgrade. 
Because, like, I'm thinking back to, like, what was living in colonial America like? I'm like, mm, mm. I don't know. I feel like... Probably a step up to go live with the I natives. feel like colonial America would have been better than, like, England at the time. But it also depends on your station, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a very tricky thing to try and figure out. I was thinking more of residential schools, which are still a thing until very... Yeah, those are, those are rough. Those were not good. I think the kidnapping of European settlers by Native Americans was hundreds of years ago now. Mm, the res schools were much more recent. Yeah. I think up until the late 20th century, like within our lifetimes, or at least mine. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how far along that went, but yeah. Yeah. So I know they were still around in the 70s, and I was born in 89, so it might have been within. No, I didn't lifetime. know they went that late. Well, it also depends. They They lasted longer further north. Okay, yeah. That checks out. That would make sense. Well, there we go. Any other lessons from the text that we want to highlight? Mm, make sure everyone signs on to casting lots before you do it. And don't let people try and relitigate it after. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. If you're honor bound, then all right, we'll let it slide. But make sure like you make that agreement beforehand. Like Put all your cards on the table before you cast lots. Also, after you've been exiled from one country for killings, maybe stop killing people. Yeah, we don't really highlight that, but that's important. Like, there were killings in all of these places. Like, Iceland Iceland is not its own continent, but there were killings in Europe, Iceland, Greenland, and North America. This guy's pretty prolific. Well, Eric never got to North America. Okay, true. But one of the things that the saga thing people pointed out is that the reason Eric lives in Greenland is because everywhere else has kicked him out. That's Yeah, that's not really the reputation that you want to have. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All right. Best moment. Hmm. I'm torn. I am very much torn between... What's her name? It starts with an F. Freitas? Yeah. I want to keep calling her, like, Freitas, but that's not right. Freitas. I'm torn between Freitas taking her sword and beating it against her chest... And still that guy killing his wife, Sigrid. I kind of like Freydis is better. Yeah, it's it's much more dramatic. Like, they're both ridiculously dramatic, but one is like, you understand, and the other one is like, this girl's just crazy. Yeah. Well, she is Eric the Red's daughter. That's true. And she's maybe presumably pregnant, or at least unwell at the time. And she still shouts at these guys. To add on, she is also a major character in the Greenlander saga, and there yes. she is a legitimate psychopath. Oh my gosh. Okay, we're going to have to do that one too, because <laughs> I want to hear about how crazy she is. The girl's crazy. Okay, so she gets the best moment for sure. All right. The court. Now, here's something I'm going to throw out ahead of time. The reason I wanted to do this one is because I remembered that in Saga Thing, they're equivalent to the court. Thing men. Mm-hmm. Both of them complained about how few good options there were. And I have the are opposite. Are kidding? I have the opposite opinion of this text. There are too many good options. Yeah. Like, do I pick Figdies? Do I pick um, the guy's name that I cannot remember? Why am I dropping these names today? You'll have to tell me which guy. There are a lot of guys. The guy with the K. The K at the front of his name. Thorfinn Carl Sepney? Yes. Him. Carl Sepney. I'm losing these names. Because there's him. And there's also Leaf the Lucky. Like, he's a great character, yeah. too. Oh, man. I'm going to go with Carl Stephanie just because I like he's a cool guy and I also really enjoy his lineage. Yeah. And his name. I like his name is meaning and names have a lot of power. I think names have a lot of power. So I'm going to go with him. All right. I already knew who I was going to pick because when I was first listening to the saga episode on this and they were complaining, <laughs> I was like, why are you not picking 
Thor Bjorg the Prophetess. Yes, she's so, amazing. I'm taking her. She's so cool. Like, why would you not? There's so many amazing characters in this saga. Yeah. It's hard to choose. It's legitimately hard to choose. So, to go back to saga things choices. Okay. John picked first and chose Leif Erikson, purely for name recognition. Okay, solid choice. Andy picked Killer Steer, who you may remember as being mentioned in like three sentences. Okay. He was one of Eric the Red's allies near the beginning. Totally forgettable. Yeah. He shows up more in other sagas, is is why. Okay, that makes sense. But like... The reason I this stuck in my head was because John keeps bringing up how like ridiculous that choice was because Killer Stewart plays such a small part in the sagas and there's like yeah very little justification for picking him and I thought it was extra ridiculous because there are better choices as we've just demonstrated. I think so. We are leaving Leif Erikson on the table along with all of Eric the Red's children. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, and Oither the Deep Minded also a good choice that I, I passed up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of characters here. Okay. All right. Final rating. I really enjoyed this one. I gotta say, if you don't appreciate the genealogies, which we have to take into account because a lot of people, it's like reading, you know, the Old Testament you go through and you're like, okay, 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 son of, son of, son of, son of, son of, forget it. But given that, The rest of the saga is so ridiculous. And I think the last half of the saga outshines the first half of it. Like the first half is like getting there and setting up. And then the last half is like, here's everything that's going on. Yeah. I'm going to give this one a solid 8.5. Yeah, I'm pretty much on board with that. Uh, I think it's a, I think it compares unfavorably to some of the other sagas, which are longer and better. True, true. But it also has some really great moments for the space it does have. No, I just, I feel like it brings to light a really big part of the world, obviously, that we don't ever get to see in anything else from this time period, which is to say it brings to light the quote unquote new world, North America. But it also brings to light like more cultures and you get to see a lot of the usual um, tropes in these sagas in a totally new place, which I really enjoyed because as someone who has read a lot of the sagas, it's like, I sort of know what I'm expecting. So to see it in a, in a new place where they don't even know what they're expecting, I find really enjoyable. And it should be noted that people in Northwestern Europe kind of remember that this was a place. Like, I think it comes yeah. up in a couple Irish writings too. They don't visit there personally, but they're like, oh yeah, we've heard, we've heard that people went over there and found like a big land of plenty. Yep. Once you get into the rest of Europe, they have no idea that that's over there because they don't talk to the Irish or the Norse. Like, they don't like you. You guys are weird. Yeah. <laughs> Uncivilized. And so that's that's why 500 years later, Columbus is completely blindsided by it. <laughs> what? Have I found India? Yeah, exactly. Oh, gosh. Ridiculous. Well, ridiculous to us. <laughs> Anyway, I'm giving it an eight. Is what, an eight. Is what I'm solid, to say. solid. So, have you got a leech's corner for us today? Welcome to the leech's corner. For difficulty hearing, again, drip into the ear. Juice of ribwort and oil made lukewarm. Mingled together, it wonderfully healeth. For the same, take ram's gall. With urine of the patient himself after a night's fasting, mix with butter and pour into the ear. Ooh. Again for the same, drip into the ear, juice of the rind of a nut tree, made lukewarm. 
All right. So those are three different things you can put in the ear that will help you hear better. And only one of them involves your own pee. (laughs) Well, I know which one I'm not choosing. Ooh. I mean, they sort of make sense on the front. Like, the first one sounds totally reasonable. It might. I mean, I have no idea what ribwort is or what kind of oil. That's true, but you're, you know, you're theoretically lubricating the inner ear. So... <laughs> yes, that's, that's what makes people deaf. The gears get all stopped up and you need to oil them. <laughs> well, I don't know. Because the Vikings had ear picks. Like, they would take the wax out of their ear. But if that wasn't a common thing, then you'd want to, like, clear that out. Or, like, maybe if you had swimmer's ear. I don't know. I'm throwing some ideas out here. That's fair. <laughs> I don't know. I I wouldn't really be inclined to, you know, use my own urine after fasting or just use it at all. Does it help that you're mixing it with butter and ram's gall? Not really, because ram's gall is not something I would want to put in my ear either, because that's like the inner lining of the stomach. What about butter? Would, Would you like to put butter in your ear? I mean, not particularly, but if it's melted butter, like it's not gonna hurt me. So, you know, I could stand it. It wouldn't be pleasant, but I'm more inclined to use ringwort or whatever and oil. I like that they, for both of the non-urine recipes, they do specify that you should warm it up a bit. That's, yeah. that's thoughtful of them. Or possibly cool it down. They just say made lukewarm. I don't know what's, what temperature they would normally be at. Fair enough. I guess you want it runny because you want to get it all the way in the ear. And also, you know, it would be unpleasant to pour, like, Freezing hot cold. oil or cold oil. Yeah. So you have to use lukewarm oil. Lukewarm oil. Well, why don't we look up this plant? Because I feel like if we don't, we're doing a disservice. What's it called? Ribwort. Ribwort. It's a species of plantain. Yep. The Dictionary of Old English Plant Names concurs. It is Plantago lanceolata, also known as the ribwort plantain. Oh, well, it grows here in Ireland. That's good to know. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've seen this plant before. Did you put it in your ear? I have not tried that, but it can be useful with UTIs and it can decrease inflammation. Are you looking that up somewhere or or do you just know that? (laughs) No, I'm looking this one up. Oh, okay. In popular culture on Wikipedia, it describes using it. You twist the stalk around and pull it so that the little bud at the tip shoots off. Uh-huh. Like a bullet. That's something so that, cool. Uh, we used to do when I was a kid with, a, I assume, a different plant. Interesting. Let's see. According to the National Folklore Collection at UCD, which is University College Dublin, so that's down the road, in Irish folklore, they're good for small cuts. So if you chew it up and then apply it to the cut, it prevents blood poisoning and encourages healing. Uh, Wikipedia further says you can make a tea from the leaves and it's used as a traditional cough medicine. That would make sense. So, oh, oh, shit. that's not a different plant. That is the one I used to use to do the little shooty thing. I just no saw a, a picture of the stalks up close. Yeah, those grew in my yard when I was growing up. If you twist the stalk around right and then pull back, that little head like shoots off real fast. That's cool. Okay, it's an antihistamine, an antifungal, an antioxidant, and an analgesic, and a mild antibiotic. It helps with nettle stings, insect bites, or stings. Hmm. And yeah, it works as a cough medicine. So if it's an antifungal, that would make sense for an ear infection. Oh, oh dear, it's an invasive plant here in North America. 
That oh, also I'm glad that I, I pulled up so many to shoot them at people. <laughs> Interesting. Huh. Well, there you go. So that might actually work. I would rather try that than the other two options. Yeah. Shall we say. All right. And I know a way to deliver it very quickly into your ear. Yes, that you do. Bing, bing. Oh, gosh. Oh. Well, I guess that concludes our Thanksgiving episodes. We didn't expect to make two of them, but we have we have plenty of material. Jesus, looking at the time, I might end up splitting it into three. Oh my gosh! Fair enough. Well, you know, it's a it's a week of plenty. Yeah. <laughs> Future Mac here, an extra edition to reflect a listener comment received around the time I was editing this. A member of the Maniculum Podcast Facebook group, John, pointed out that in our Leech's Corner on the first episode, we expressed concern that one of the headache remedies involved bathing with red nettles. John posted that he was pretty sure that red nettles were just another word for purple dead nettle, which do not sting. I confirmed this by checking the Old English in the Leech book, because thankfully Cockaine's edition is a parallel text edition, so you can compare the original language and the translation side by side. It's very nice. And then seeing what the Dictionary of Old English Plant Names said about his phrasing. The red nettle, or as the Leech book would put, the nettle, is in fact Lamium purpureum, also called red dead nettle, purple dead nettle, or Purple Archangel. It is called Dead Nettle because even though it looks very much like a nettle, it has no sting. It is, in fact, a member of a different family of plants altogether. It just resembles a nettle. Once I got the scientific name, I looked it up and was shocked to find that this is actually yet another invasive plant species that I used to find in my yard as a child. I remember them very clearly because although you couldn't shoot them at people, they're very pretty. Or at least I always thought so. I'd advise Googling them. And if you happen to see them in your yard too, John did add that they are edible and have medicinal uses. Though we have no liability if you try to eat them or use them as medicine and don't prepare them correctly or in other ways injure yourself. On a related note, we are trying to get more people in the Facebook group because that's probably the best way for us to talk to people and have listeners discuss stuff amongst themselves. I'd like to encourage some kind of environment of conversation. So the group is the Maniculum Podcast on Facebook. It is different from the Facebook page. Facebook is weird sometimes. And I would also like to thank John, Marcy, and Ash for having joined already. I think that's everything. I am now going to pass it off to the closing music. Thank you for listening to The Maniculum. Please consider leaving a rating and review in Apple Podcasts to help support the project. For more geeky additions or to see our sources and notes, check out our blog, Marginalia, at themaniculumpodcast.com. You can also join our Facebook group, 
the Maniculum podcast, to join in on discussions about all things medieval. And feel free to reach out. We're on Twitter at Maniculum and on Instagram at Maniculum Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And special thanks to Sandra Boyle, who created the music for our show. You can check out her project, Sugar Glass, on Spotify. So it can help with nettle stings, insect bites. Wow. It helps with nettle stings, insect bites, or stings.